The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Another episode of Across the Airways, a podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV shots and reviews, along with news and opinions on the entertainment industry. Guy Danchman, your host, get with me, is a guy who has a fear of the song Downtown. Get to watching this week's episode of The X Files. My co host. Hey, everybody, it's Nico, and welcome to Across the Airways. On this week's episode, we continue our coverage of the spring 2016 TV season with our review of the mid season premiere of The Walking Dead and Castle, another episode of the X Files revival episodes, an episode of Star Wars Rebels, Michael's Supernatural and Sleepy Hollow reviews, and our sitcom section including The Muppets, New Girl, Modern Family, and The Big Bang Theory. So it's a big one. And we're going to give our thoughts on the Super Bowl commercials briefly too. Oh, I forgot about that. That's right. Dan and I talk about our favorites and maybe some of the ones we didn't like. Yes, some disturbing things. We'll get to that when we get there. But for now, we're going to do our news with Nico section with a jam-packed section filled with news about Star Wars, Doctor Who, Second City, Gilmore Girls, Deadpool, and even Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Maisie Williams wants to be Doctor Who's next Doctor. During the recently wrapped ninth season of Doctor Who, Game of Thrones star Maisie Williams made four appearances as a shoulder and Lady Me. And while the season finale left the door open for Lady Me to eventually return to the series, Williams has a bigger role in mind, the Doctor herself. At the Evening Standard British Film Awards, Williams was asked if she wanted to take over the role of the, of the Doctor from Peter Capaldi. She said yes, but with a few conditions. It would be cool, but right now I'm locked into some other things. I think a female Doctor would be incredible. I think a black Doctor would be incredible. I'm all for Idris Elba but if not, I'll take it for the team and do it. Her mention of Elba is in reference to popular fan campaigns to win the Luther star, the coveted Dr. Roll. Maisie's other things include her movie projects, The Forest of Hands and Teeth, and The Devil in the Deep Blue Sea, and the upcoming seventh season of Game of Thrones, which will be filmed later this year. HBO has yet to confirm the previously rumored two-season renewal of Game of Thrones, but it's going to happen. The unique shooting schedule for Game of Thrones may actually work in Maisie's favor if she gets the opportunity to become the 13th Doctor, because most of the Game of Thrones cast films their scenes in various international locations, their screen time over 10 episodes isn't the equivalent of appearing in 10 episodes on more traditional dramas. Maisie already was able to squeeze in her Doctor Who appearances with her current Game of Thrones schedule for Season 6. By the time that Doctor Who returns in 2017, Game of Thrones will be heading into production on its 8th and potentially final season. And if Game of Thrones wraps at that point, it would free up Maisie just as Capaldi potentially makes his exit. Within the context of Doctor Who, there's even a reason why the Doctor would subconsciously choose Lady Mies to appearance. The Twelfth Doctor took the appearance of Lobus Cecilius from the fires of Pompeii to remind himself of his commitment to saving lives. If he became Lady Me's physical double, perhaps it would be the Doctor's way of using Lady Me's backstory as a cautionary tale for herself. Personally, if it's not Alex Kingston, then Maisie Williams would be my choice for the first woman Doctor. I'm all for this. Oh, and I also love the idea of Idris Elba as well. I've gone back and watched all of Luther recently, and he's brilliant in that. So him as the Doctor would be outstanding. If not Idris Elba, then Maisie Williams would be awesome as well. 
Super Bowl 50 draws 111.9 million viewers, ticked down from last year. The early numbers for Super Bowl 50 are in, and they're humongous, but not record-breaking. According to Fast Nationals released by CBS, Denver's win over Carolina delivered 111.9 million total viewers, down 2% from last year's Patriots-Seahawks matchup with 114.4 million, yet standing as the third most watched program in TV history. Leading out of the big game, the late show with Stephen Colbert drew 21.1 million total viewers and a 7.9 demo rating, the franchise's best number since its August 1993 launch. That what NBC's post-game blacklist did a year ago with 25.7 million, but rivals what Fox's New Girl and Brooklyn Nine-Nine combo averaged in 2014 with 20.7 million. Following local news, the Late Late Show with James Corden did 5 million and a 1.9 in the demo, marking its biggest audience since the franchise's 1995 launch. Young Han Solo film has release date confirmed, with the announcement of the Star Wars Episode 8 being moved back from its initially slotted release date of May 2017 to the now-coveted holiday slot of December 2017. It seemed like Disney and Lucasfilm were setting the stage to take the further adventures in a galaxy far, far away as a yearly Christmas tradition. However, it now appears that, at least at this stage, the movie about a young Han Solo will remain a spring release in May 2018. Disney CEO Bob Iger spoke about all things intergalactic during the company's quarterly earnings call and discussed where things stand with each each of the announced films in the franchise. Iger said Ryan Johnson's episode 8 has begun filming and Colin Trevorrow's episode 9, a 2019 release, is apparently also already in production, though its release date hasn't been announced yet. But the most interesting of all came when Iger talked about the spin-off stories. Gareth Edwards' Rogue One, about the group of rebels stealing the planet of the original Death Star, is virtually finished filming and he says it's great, and they're already in pre-production on Chris Miller and Phil Lord's Han Solo prequel. I for one can't imagine it'll stay in that May 25th, 2018 slot that was announced last July because Disney's other cash cow, Avengers Infinity War Part 1, is already confirmed for May 4th, 2018. But maybe they're not so worried about potentially splitting up the nerd money. I still think it'd be better at Christmas time. Whether it moves to December 2018, stays firm in May, or moves to another month, the fact that Disney's planning for at least five Star Wars films in as many years sort of has me just super excited, especially after the success of The Force Awakens. Like, what if they're all that good? Can we handle that much great Star Wars? I, for one, want to find out. Sci-Fi's Magicians Renewed for Season 2 Barely four episodes into its freshman run, The Magicians has been renewed for Season 2 by Sci-Fi. Based on this best-selling novels by Lev Grossman, the drama centers on Quentin, a brilliant grad student chosen to attend Breakbills College for Magical Pedagogy, a secret upstate New York university specializing in magic. There, he and his friends discover the magical fantasy world they read about as children is all too real when they unwittingly invite a malevolent entity from the other side into their world. To date, the series has averaged a million weekly viewers, a total that swells to 1.7 million with DVR playback factored in. The Magicians airs Mondays at 9, 8 central and the 13 episode season 2 will premiere in 2017. Second City will launch Harold Remus Film School this fall. It has been nearly two years since Harold Remus passed away, leaving behind a cinematic legacy that includes Groundhog Days, Caddyshack, National Lampoon's Vacation, and the first two Ghostbuster movies. As a writer, director, and a performer, Remus had a unique comedic touch that was felt in all of his projects. Now, the Second City has announced plans to honor Remus's contributions to film. Beginning in September, Second City will open the Harold Remus Film School in Chicago, which is described as the first film school to focus on comedic content. Remus was a Second City veteran, and the new school has been and endorsed by his widow. The Harold Ramis Film School will feature year-long programs with a traditional education in film theory, cinema history, and production classes in addition to comedy training by Second City instructors. Students will also be tasked with creating screenplays, sitcom pilots, one-hour pilots, or short films as their thesis projects. Second City is currently accepting applications for the Harold Ramis Film School at the link in the ACC feed. An open house about the film school will be held at the Second City Training Center in Chicago on March 16th. 
Preacher adds Jackie Earl Haley as its most twisted villain. Jackie Earl Haley is no stranger to comic book adaptations, but his latest gig is a much deeper cut than he's used to. Haley has reportedly been signed to appear in six episodes of AMC's Preacher as Odin Quincannon, a frequent nemesis of the title character, Jesse Custer. In the Preacher comic book series by Gareth Enos and Steve Dillon, Haley's character was the owner of Quincannon Meat and Power, a slaughterhouse that employs most of the residents of Anvil County, Texas. Quincannon was also a KKK member who attempted to murder Jesse and his friends, but the reason the Preacher fans remember Odin Quincannon is probably because he was involved in one of the most disgusting scenes in the entire run of the comic. Now there are minor spoilers ahead. At one point, Jesse caught Quincannon having sex with a large mannequin made up entirely out of meat. Not coincidentally, that was a scene that I was sure would never make it to television when AMC announced his plans to adapt Preacher, but Quincannon's presence on the show kind of implies that his only real iconic moment from the comic book series is probably inevitable. Preacher doesn't currently have an announced premiere date, but it will debut later this year on AMC. Castle ratings returned steady in demo, but smallest audience ever. The goodish news, ABC's Castle resumed season 8 on Monday night with a 1.1 demo rating, matching its fall finale and up a tick from The Bachelor's live after show most recently pulled in that pulled in that time slot. Less good, Castle's total audience of 5.72 million viewers marks a drop of 15%, or a full million people, easily hitting a series low. Not good numbers for Castle. New Star Wars novel tells story of Leia Organa. Leia Organa deserves all the spotlights, every single one of them. The General and Princess of Alderaan knows how to lead and save skins, and she can rock some otherwise questionable hairstyles like nobody else. At long last, Leia will get her place in the sun and take the starring role in an upcoming novel titled Star Wars Bloodline. Claudia Gray, author of Lost Stars, will explore what happens with Leia in the years between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. The book finds her as a high-ranking senator in the New Republic. However, Leia realizes something is awry. We know that the New Republic signed a galactic concordance with the Empire in the years after the Battle of Endor, but that Empire didn't quit. The First Order rose from the organization's ashes, and Leia could sense the impending doom. Gray told USA Today that this new generation doesn't remember the past, but that Leia begins to see the cracks in the foundation that could lead to a dangerous future for the galaxy. The theme of, the, of family will play a large part in the book, though Bloodlines isn't solely concerned with Leia's relationship with her soon-to-be estranged husband and troubled son. The book gives focus primarily on Leia's work as a fighter and a leader. An excerpt from Bloodline on USA Today highlights the looming conflict and you can read that excerpt in the link in the ACC feed. Star Wars Bloodline will be available on May 3rd. New Battlestar Galactica movie in development at Universal. Those frackin' toasters over in Hollywood are added once again, trying to bring a Battlestar Galactica movie to the big screen. According to The Hollywood Reporter, producer Michael DeLuca from The Social Network is partnering with Bluegrass Films, which made Battleship, to develop the venerable sci-fi series as a franchise at Universal Pictures. No writers are attached to the project at this time, and little else is known about the planned iteration. The original Battlestar Galactica series came from creator Glenn A. Larson during the post-Star Wars boom of sci-fi lasting one short but memorable season in 1978-1979. They brought it back for another 10-episode run as Galactica 1980 in the wake of a massive letter-writing campaign by fans convincing executives at ABC to give it another shot. The series always had cult status but gained a degree of mainstream success with a politically charged reimagined sci-fi series that ran from 2004 to 2009. The sci-fi series developed by Outlander's Ronald D. Moore envisioned humanity in tatters on the run from a race of deadly robots known as Cylons, whose brutal assaults nearly rendered humanity 
humanity extinct. The remnants of humanity fled from their hyperintelligent robotic oppressors on a fleet of starships led by the Galactica and her crew on the hunt for the legendary human colony of Earth. Over the years, there have been a number of abortive attempts to bring Battlestar Galactica to the big screen. Back in 1999, Wing Commander producer Todd Moyer attempted to develop a feature film adaptation centered on Battlestar Pegasus, but it fell apart. X-Men Apocalypse director Brian Singer was also attached to adapt the series for a film in 2000, but the 9-11 attacks scared executives into pulling the plug on the project, which apparently opened with the terrorist attack that hit a little too close to home. Singer had remained attached to the project in varying degrees over the years, but departed in 2014, after which Universal tapped Transcendence writer Jack Paglin to pen a new script. Now it seems that Paglin's script has also stalled out, and we are back to square one as far as Battlestar Galactica movies are concerned. Given how early in the process this project seems to be, it'll be a long while before we see anything tangible. So that should give you just about enough time to rewatch the 2004 series another 30 to 70 times before the film hits theaters or eventually falls apart like the end of the 2004 series unfortunately did. And that'll give execs plenty of time to realize they need to get the 2004 series cast back on board because they are the one true incarnation we love and need. If they don't, it probably won't work anyway. Deadpool sequel happening already. Deadpool released this weekend, and even before that happened, there's already a sequel to Fox and Marvel's Deadpool in the works. Of course, there's always a sequel around these kinds of movies. Yeah, I mean, they even gave Fantastic Four the green light for a sequel, and look how bad that was. But this seems all but a sure thing. Insiders at 20th Century Fox have reportedly told a Hollywood reporter of the murmurings that a sequel has already been greenlit. Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, who wrote the first film and were integral in every step of the uphill battle to get the Merc with the Mouth properly to the screen, will apparently be writing the sequel as well. Ryan Reynolds will undoubtedly be back, as this is his baby too, and though there's nothing to suggest director Tim Miller will not direct it, it hasn't been confirmed one way or the other. There was certainly no guarantee of the success of Deadpool, the hard R superhero movie based on the popular Marvel character, which is why its production budget was reportedly in the ballpark of $58 million. However, the media blitz and fourth wall breaking TV spots and promos have endeared people to the character and Reynolds' portrayal enough, not to mention the good to great reviews of the film by critics already that it's on track to make upwards of 65 million during the opening weekend i have not seen it yet but i have plans to rectify that soon Gilmore Girls, Jared Pilecki returning as Dean for Netflix revival. Jared Pilecki is set to return to Netflix four-episode Gilmore Girls continuation as Dean. The Supernatural actress casting ensures that the upcoming revival will feature Rory's three most significant love interests. Joining Logan and Milo Ventimiglia's Jess, we now have Jared Pilecki's Dean. Quick refresher, Dean disappeared from Gilmore Girls when his romance with Rory, rekindled while he was still married to Lindsay, fizzled out after he realized the teen sweethearts had grown too different. His final appearance came in season five when he warned Luke against planning any sort of future with Lorelei. Padalecki is currently shooting Supernatural season 11 in Vancouver, and the fact that both Supernatural and Gilmore Girls are produced by Warner Brothers likely streamlined those negotiations. I have loved Jared on Supernatural, but had serious issues with him on Gilmore Girls. I hope they fix some of those issues in this revival series. Better Call Saul getting Chris Hardwick hosted after show. Because of course it is. Is there an after show on air that Chris Hardwick doesn't host? The talking man with a plan has managed to wrangle himself yet another AMC hosting gig because, you know, he wasn't busy enough already. Adding to his talking empire, Chris will host a two-episode installment of Talking Saul and a live Better Call Saul after show taking place after the season two premiere and finale. The two-episode installments of Talking Saul will air on Monday, February 15th and Monday, April 18th at 11 p.m. Eastern and Pacific, respectively. And even cooler, 
The first episode's guests will include series creator and executive producers Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould, alongside Jimmy McGill himself, Bob Odenkirk. I'm excited for Better Call Saul's return next week. And that's the news with Nico for this week. All right, we're going to get things started with a show that everyone is anxiously waiting to return, especially after that four-minute teaser for the episode which introduced Jeffrey Dean Morgan as a pretty awesome character. We're going to go into talking about the Walking Dead episode that's going to kick this show into even higher gear. No way out. With walkers inside the gates of Alexandria, Rick and the group are scared, outnumbered, and things are only getting worse. Okay, so with this week's Walking Dead, you know, I'm really excited about the episode. I thought it had one of the best opening teasers I mean, I've ever seen on television because of two words, Rocket Launcher. Do you agree with me on this, Nico? Was this opening awesome and just a great way to get back into the swing of the show? Yeah, absolutely. And the tension that was created with the lead biker guy. Was yes. he going to kill everybody? Was he, was he not? Was this the end of Sasha? Was it the end of, you know, what was going to happen? We just didn't know. And then all of a sudden, rocket launcher from the back. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> that was probably Daryl's, like, finest moments was, was that rocket launcher shot. Oh, yeah. Because he's the perfect character to pick to do it. I mean, I think that was perfect. Plus, he's got such a fan following anyway that, yeah, that was awesome. And it was great because, I mean, we had even talked about it. We thought they would use the rocket launcher and just blow all sky high. And they did it in a way where we weren't sure because that's how it was going to go down. Yep. Because that was just brilliant. I mean, just that set the tone for the episode because I think it was just that awesome from there on out. Oh, absolutely. We knew from that moment that we were in for something special in this episode because that was awesome. And we knew we still had 40 minutes of television to watch. Yes. So if it started that well, we knew it was going to be a huge episode. And, and they they didn't disappoint us. We, I didn't think so. It started off great and it ended, you know, great. And all through the middle, it was great. So I, I really enjoyed this episode. I thought it was one of the best in a while. I think maybe maybe the best episode of season six so far. I would think so, yes. Yeah. God, you know, the other thing was, this episode really surprised us with some characters. God, I think we got a big turnaround from Gabriel to this episode with his decision to protect Judith, kind of inspire the people of Kyle Sandra to help Rick fight the walkers. You know, the guy had kind of been a worm for a while. Kind of, he kind of got screwed everybody over. But really, he kind of grew on me. Did that happen with you as well, Nico? Did you learn what it means to be a survivor with what went down in this episode? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Dan. You're, you're right on target there. Gabriel was not a good, not one of my favorite characters before because I felt like he was inconsistent and he couldn't really get a feel for what he was this episode again he, he was inconsistent because i think he's growing i think he's finally getting it and you kind of saw that when he was telling the people who were praying with him in the church he said we've been praying to god to save us and save our town and he has he's given us the courage to go out and save ourselves and that's a great idea that is a that's a very catholic idea that we need to pray and ask god for help but oftentimes the answer is you need to do it yourself and and that's what I think he learned in this episode is that he's going to have to be there and able to do it himself. He's going to have to be there for his people. And part of that is going out and fighting the walkers. He can't just pray it away anymore. He's going to have to actually act. And he did. And I think he's going to earn, or I think he did earn the respect of Rick in this moment. And we saw that when Rick was talking with Carl while Carl was unconscious. He was saying, I, I didn't believe in them. I didn't know what they were capable of, but I saw it. And now I believe. And I think 
Gabriel had a now I believe moment in this episode. But he also he, he realized what he did before. When he locked all the people, kind of his church was wrong. Yeah, he learned from that lesson. Oh yeah, because so that was big. I mean, it was the idea, and I think Morgan's character kind of spread it throughout the season that people could change, they could re- be redeemed, could find themselves after this horrible apocalypse had taken place. Again, with that regard, they kind of felt a little bit like Morgan might have been right about the wolf having some good in him with what he did to protect the doctor. Could I think Carol see this guy still trying to protect her, even after she basically shot him, could left her with a fatal wound. It's going to make her kind of question her current outlook on the world. Could maybe she was her change, like Rick and Gabriel, kind of this episode as well. Okay, okay, yeah. I mean, is that the case? Do you think, could you see that too? Or where do you think Carol's going to go? I think Carol's going to have a, a crisis of conscience and, or a crisis of confidence in the way she's been acting and the way she's going. Because I think Rick is going to make a major change going forward. I think he's bought into Alexandria now. I think he believes that these people, after what he saw in this night, I believe he believes that what Diana was talking about, what she thought Alexandria could be, I think Rick gets it now. I think he understands. And I'm not sure Carol's there yet. She might. I agree. I think she might be able to follow Rick's lead and get there herself. But I think there's going to be a massive crisis of conscience or a massive crisis of confidence in what's going on until she finds finally gets there. And I think we're going to see some of that Carol who's in survivor mode and struggling to be in Alexandria mode or whatever you want to call it. So yeah. I, I think that that's, yeah, I think that's going to be a, a, good, a big part. Good. I think Daryl will play a big part of that. Yeah. Too. yeah, you know, they haven't really harped on their close relationship in this season, in the sixth season. Right. They've talked before a little bit about some of that stuff, but never this season. It, 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 I think the last time we saw it was kind of after she came back and saved people in the season yeah. five. So, when they went looking for Beth. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right about that. Yeah. Yep. Now, talking about a big character change, because I think Rick had the biggest. Okay, normally I'm left saddened by the death of characters on the show, that are the, the characters that are not villains. Okay because I was pretty happy when the governor got killed. But I do think killing off Jesse and her family was maybe one of the smartest things the show has done. They could have really created a monster out of the Jesse character get killed this show, like another show we talk about, kind of DC Nation podcast. But they didn't do that. They they kind of realized where they were wrong and kind of really don't think they were wrong. I think they did it on purpose with this scene in mind. Again, I've had friends really who honestly kind of quit watching the show because of how silly they thought her romance or whatever it was with Rick, you know, ended up being on the show. Because in my opinion, I think this family was holding Rick back from being that good person that Herschel and Morgan and Abraham and Michonne and just countless others believed he could be. Because before this moment, he was almost turning into shape. He was wanting something that he couldn't have. Again, here it got to the point where he almost turned his back, got his real family, until I think Carl getting shot shocked Rick into realizing what was most important. That the people he should been caring about and focused on, because Michonne and Carl and you know, the rest of that group that he's brought along with him since the beginning and now the people of Alexander Again, with that being said, the show did scare the crap out of me that they're going to kill Carl. That really hurt the show by making Rick go really psycho. Because I think that would be his breaking point. Cruising Carl or Julia. So I'm glad that didn't happen. Thank God they let Carl live. You know, so this stage of Rick going crazy could be put to an end. Before it got way too much, got her nerves. I think it was getting there. I think people were getting tired of the crazy psycho Rick who was yelling and waving a gun and things like that. So glad we're done with that. I think that's good. Okay, with that, Nico, do you think the death of Jesse and her family was necessary to remind Rick of what was most important to make him realize that he was turning his back on his own family. I absolutely agree that the death of Jesse and her family was was necessary and 
was pretty shocking how it happened. It was one yeah. of the one of the best surprise deaths because we thought that possibly the the youngest boy from forgetting what his name was, but the one that was afraid of everything. I was wondering if he might he might get killed and then it might cause that the conflict with Rick and maybe Jesse and and the other boy, the one that ended up shooting Carl. Yes, and I was wondering if that was going to be the way they were going to go with it, and that could could have caused you know rough stuff for Rick as well. But when it just went down the way it did, and it was like, oh my god, they're going to kill everybody. <laughs> and I was right there with you thinking when Carl got shot, I was like, oh, no way, Carl? <laughs> and then when uh, I saw him, Rick pick him up and start running, and Michonne just going into to essentially like god mode for video games and taking out everyone, I was like, yes, that is what I want to see. And when they brought Carl into the infirmary, I saw exactly what they had done. They had, had him get shot through the eye, but it went in the eye and out the side of his cheek or the side of his yes. eye so it you, you, you saw that there was potentially no brain damage and possibly the only thing that really happened was he's going to lose the eye and maybe have a little bit of a deficit on that right side of the face but he's yeah. going to have an eye patch on the console yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> in in a couple of episodes he's going to be up on his feet fully functional and have an eye patch and be a badass cyclops yes I was so happy when Michonne stabbed the kid because I got in a chat room with a bunch of my friends and they were complaining about that character, the oldest son, because wanted him to get shot mm-hmm. with the rocket launcher. Because it turned into like a groundy coyote conversation about that. You know, it was like a Roadrunner cartoon talking about all the horrible things that was done to him. Can I think Michonne stabbing him? Yeah, that lived up to what I wanted to see. It wasn't just quite explosive, but it was like, yes. Can they go and got shot? And I was like, no. About the so, only way I think it could have been better is if Michonne had just taken his head off, you know? But I think that would have been too much. <laughs> that was when I was like, oh, Michonne's got to just come up behind him and like swipe through his neck and just decapitate him. I think yeah, that would have been opinion, awesome. I think that would have been out of character for her. I don't. I think she was protecting Carl. I think it would have been perfectly within what she would have expected. I mean, she stabbed him. It's the same. In the end, it's the same result. I don't think decapitating him would have been any yeah. less or greater evil or not evil, but of an act. You know, it wouldn't have been a greater actor. It wouldn't have been a lesser act. It would have been the same act. It still would have killed him. Right. I just think it would have been really awesome. <laughs> well, and that's where you see that that Michonne maybe. I know some people are shipping Rick and Michonne. Oh, for I sure. I don't know if that's going to happen. But if, if there is a, she cares for him more than Jesse ever would. I think. I think in that action, this is a person that would do anything for Rick and Carl. Yet I think the lack of Michonne we saw in this first half of the season was saying was an indication of Rick kind of losing track of what was most important. He turned his back on maybe his strongest ally. Get her doing that, I think it's going to make Rick realize, wait a minute, this is the person that I need in my life. And again, they could go the romance direction. They could not. But I do think he realizes this is my family. This is someone that I should consider God's family because they're going to do anything for me. Yeah, absolutely. Without him. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think Michonne is family. Whether it's romantic feelings or not, she's part of that family. She loves Judith. She loves Carl. And she loves Rick. And if they go the route that a lot of people want and give them a, a romance, then I, I don't see that being as a, pr- a problem or n- anything. I think they could go either way where she's just she just loves them as as family and it doesn't have to be romantic or it could be a romance with her and Rick. I, I'm okay with it going either way. We saw how much she loved Carl because when, while he was on the table, she, she knew she had to go out and save Rick and, and be with Rick and, and protect him. But at the same time, she couldn't leave him. She wanted to, but she couldn't until he was fixed or, or was stable. And as 
soon as he was, she gave him a big kiss and went out to help Rick. And I think that that showed, you know, that she's part of that family unit. She's there. She's 100% in that. And I don't think it has to be romance, but I'm okay with it being it. Yeah, I think either way it's good. I think that... I think Rick realizes that she's important there. Because mm-hmm. that's what I wanted to see. Yeah. I yeah. wanted to show them a big moment. Because I felt she was kind of underrated this season. So I was very happy we got more. Okay, at the same time, I was also very happy because we got to see Glenn be that most noble character on the show that we love. But that way, it's part of it. Could use the people he lost in characters that we love to make her realize what he was trying to convince her of in the past, like, two episodes. Because I liked how she was going to go with Glenn no matter what. Even when he told her to stay back or whatever. She's like, I'm helping you. Do you got me to believe? I'm going to back you up. But again, the Writers need to stop giving us a heart attack over Glenn getting cut off. Craig, I freaked out again. Because it's just going to keep happening. Because now that Deacon's coming in, it's just going to get worse. Yeah. Every episode, we're just going, oh my god, is this it? Because I just can't tell you how glad I was to see Daryl, Sasha, and Abraham show up the same as well. I mean, Sasha finally did something useful for once, in my opinion. Because this is the moment that made me cheer. It did. It was just awesome. The timing of it, and everything, it was just like, yes. And I think from that point on, this episode just was like zombie fighting goodness. Can it just kick off? Can you have the same? reaction for just the moment where it's like yeah go get him and we were like right there in this fight yeah i was right there with you i i was like no not glenn again <laughs> but then daryl sasha and abraham saved the day with their automatic rifles and i was like yes yes and then they and then daryl and abraham used my plan to yes. light up light up the zombies and start a huge fire that attracted them all into it and helped save the town because i mean everybody came out to fight and that was something i didn't i didn't foresee happening but we're going to talk about that in a moment but this moment when daryl sasha and abraham came in at the at the breaking point i think it was on a knife's edge it could go either way and daryl sasha and abraham don't show up at that moment glenn probably dies maggie probably goes out to try and save him and she dies enid tries to save maggie and could possibly die and then everybody who went out to fight with rick and michonne they get overtaken and they just can't hold the line and that could have been the end that could have been the end for everybody but luckily daryl sasha and abraham show up at just the right moment with just the right tools to make it work because we had to have it happen oh yeah, oh, yeah. i mean i know in rocky that sometimes goes a negative route but with this particular episode could have to go this particular way to tell the best story unfortunately i think this was such a great episode and such a positive episode that we can just expect for the next five or six that it's gonna be pretty rough <laughs> yes i think we're gonna get some really tough stuff especially with negan showing up now i know he's a big next season character rather than this season but we were gonna we are gonna see the setup that's gonna pit those two groups against each other and especially after they find out what daryl has done with the rocket launcher and blowing up you know about 10 of their guys that's gonna be something that makes them want to come back and and fight so i think the next couple episodes need to be about shoring up alexandria's defenses and then we're gonna see those defenses tested probably by the end of the season i I just hope that doesn't mean that daryl's gonna get killed retaliation please don't do that well i've i have a feeling by the end of this season we are going to lose a major character and it, they may really kill Glenn this time they may go in off book and, and go and it could be Daryl I just I think it's going to be one of the remaining originals so this is kind of like the last Karam moment to give us some satisfaction of course it's off I think this is the last happy or you know the, the start of the last happy episodes for a while because I think we're gonna have some really great stuff happen but I think it's going to be a little darker and a little 
harder right. on the group because right. Rick has just decided that he's he's all on board with this Alexandria thing. He has hope, and now the world's going to try and crush that hope. But I think ultimately, I feel like this was an indication of the end of the show. I mean, I feel like it's going to end with this hope being there. Oh, absolutely. When they when they decide that they're they've run their course on the original show here, I believe you're right. They're gonna come to a point where they've found a way. I don't necessarily think they're gonna find a cure, but they're gonna find a way that humanity can survive and survive yeah. and thrive again, where they can overcome or find a way to keep out the walkers and keep out characters like Negan too. Yeah, and and yeah, exactly, and rebuild society with the right kind of people, the people who want humanity to survive and and. Thrive thrive and, and come back as the dominant force on earth and not are or not all about power and killing each other it was i think it's going to be people like the new rick if he survives it'll be he'll be one of the leaders because he's going to pull on the ideas of diana and the principles of alexandria and really build up that idea and possibly spread it to the rest of the world Okay, yeah. God, I, mean, I think what we're going to see moving forward, because I do think with the people coming out of hiding to fight the walkers in this episode, I do think we're going to see lots of these characters being scared, get hiding and just try to survive. I think that's done now. I really do. Can I think that yes, bad things are going to happen with the saviors coming in. Can yes, people are going to die. I wholeheartedly like, agree with that, but I think they're going to go down fighting now. I don't think we're going to have any characters that are going to go down afraid. I just, I think that, you know, we're going to see the humans start to take the world back. Like we kind of just Budget. But now there's a hope that, you know, it's possible, you know, Rick is going to start, you know, recruiting more people to the community. He's going to send Daryl and Eric out there to fight people. They're going to strengthen Alexandria's fortifications. But again, this road's not going to be easy. It's going to get a little dark at some points with the wolves and the saviors and dealer. But I think that there is a good sense of hope that they could get there. Because it's going to be challenged. Because it's going to be wrecked. Because we'd have no show without that. But I do think that ultimately this is going to end with hope. So, I mean, do you think that's where the show is going? Do we, are we going to see a show with more optimistic characters? Um, even though it's going to be a rough road to get there. Yeah, I do. I do think that we're going to see some more optimism and some more cooperation between what used to be the Alexandria people and the original people. I think that's no longer, there aren't going to be a distinction. I think everyone is going to be all one group now. And yeah. part of that is going to be Rick's new hope and his new lease on life and his new understanding of what Diana meant and him getting it finally. And he's going to, he's going to become the leader that he was before he had to go super dark when they they lost the prison and they lost everything you know so i think i think he's going to find some of himself and i think he's going to get back almost to the person he might have been before this all started and he because he said you know this is the the first time since he got out of that coma that he's had hope so i do think that hope's going to be a theme for the rest of the series and i think part of that is also going to be seeing other forces try to extinguish that hope but ultimately through the strength that he finds in the alexandrians the strength and hope that he finds in others out there that they're able to save and bring into their community because I do believe he's going to start doing that again. I do believe he's going to go to Daryl and say, you were right. We need to go and find more people. We need to bring people like us back and make our community stronger. Diana was right. I was wrong. I was too worried about fear. We need to let hope win the day. And so, yeah, absolutely. I think that's how it's going to go. I think we're going to see major challenges, especially the Negan character. Negan is the is essentially yeah he's he's the animosity to hope he is a nihilist and so absolutely i think we're gonna see that threaten this new hope but 
Yeah. They're ultimately going to keep heading towards all. Yeah. yeah. I don't think there's going to be a change to the group's philosophy. Individual characters may question if they could get there, but I don't think they're going to lose all hope with what's coming. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And people might have crises of conscience or crises of faith or crises of hope in individual episodes, but ultimately it'll, it'll always come back around to hope is the new message. Hope is the new goal. Hope is the new driving force. And fear is no longer what's going to drive Rick and his decisions. And I think that that's going to be interesting. It's going to be a, a little bit of a change up in the, in the makeup of the series. And I think they're going to throw absolutely everything at him to try and extinguish that hope. But I'm hoping myself that... Just talk about it again. Yeah, it'll come up. Because I think we've, we've had a lot of him going crazy and seeing things and freaking out and stuff. I think this is the direction we need to go. Now. Make him a hero character. Yeah, exactly. Because a lot of people have claimed that he's not a hero. They don't think he's a good guy. So I think this is where we need to get back to that. We need to see this is the hero of the story. This is a good guy. This is someone we want to get behind. God, also, Nico, if there really is a zombie apocalypse, I'm sticking with you, because you came up with the fuel truck idea. Well, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while, right? They <laughs> followed more than that. Give yourself more credit with that. Yeah, but, we, it was a, it was a good idea, and I'm, I'm glad they followed through. I think they scared us with the with Negan's people and looking like they were going to steal the truck, and then obviously that, that first second was awesome when <laughs> we got Daryl to use the RPG and take him out, and then we the fuel tank was secure, and they brought it back and did exactly what we had talked about a couple weeks ago. I mean, we originally had talked about starting a fire outside and drawing them back out or drawing them away because we didn't know they were going to get in. This was essentially that, but within the gates and in a spot where almost centrally located where they would all come from anywhere and see the fire and, and get taken out. So that was that was good as well. Now, cleanup of all that destruction and all those bodies and all those walkers, that's going to take take some time and some effort. Yeah, but we'll see that in the next couple of weeks. Okay, with that, we actually have some positive feedback. We actually got a really good message written to us by a mutual friend of ours, Justin Amaral, that was good. And uh, so we wanted to share that with all you guys. Yeah, Justin says, oh my god, I just finished the episode. I can't wrap my mind around what just happened. This was just nonstop craziness. Note to self, rocket launches are handy in a zombie apocalypse. Okay, so first, there were a lot of people saving the day in this one. Daryl blowing up the bikers, Michonne saving Rick and Carl, Sasha and Abraham saving Glenn, and Daryl saving the group with the distraction fire. My anxiety levels were through the roof. I'm worried Rick might go off the deep end again. I felt like having Jesse was helping his mental state. You knew he had feelings for her, so when he, she died and after he had the flashbacks, you saw him start to crack again. I'm still unsure if he went outside because he saw the walkers were headed to, to the house or if it was fueled by rage. He's taking them all on was such a good line. It gave me the chills. The way he inspired all the other Ex Alexandrians was super powerful. Everyone really stepped up, although I still think he snapped and tried taking them on because he's crazy. So inspiring, the people wasn't his intention. He had no plan. If he saw the walkers head to the house, he would have come up with a plan or ran outside to try and lead them away, not start fighting. Plus, when they got to the wall, there was really nowhere else to go. That fight could have got ugly if it weren't for the fire. So I think his cracks showed right there. Also, the way the whole kidnapping played out was very interesting. Morgan tried changing the guy, and then the guy ended up knocking out Morgan and kidnapping the girl. We all sort of criticized Morgan for keeping the guy alive. But then we see him go back and save the girl. And even when when he, when he gets shot, he throws himself at the walkers and tells the girl to run. So I think Morgan got the last laugh on that one. It seemed as if his therapy worked. All in all, I'd put this episode in my top three. I can't imagine how they can top this one for the remainder of the season. They set the bar pretty high, but I'm excited to see them try. 
Joshua Hamill gave us a quick sentence as well. I don't know about you guys, but I could use a hug about now. Jeff. And Mark Schreiner commented, frankly, I'm not sure how I feel about the episode. He and Joshua agreed there was a whole lot of why. Could I was kind of scratching my head. Get that comment a little bit? Because I thought everything was explained pretty well. Mm-hmm. What was going on and what they were thinking. Okay, real quick to what Justin said. I think he was absolutely right about... Got Rick going out there because he was fueled by rage. I think the turning point with him, I think what made him get the idea of hope was the people saved him at that point. I think Rick was absolutely lost at that point when he went out there and started fighting. But I think the other people coming to his aid and fighting with him, I think woke him up. So I think that was the moment. I think Rick had absolutely hit rock bottom when he went out there to fight the walkers to the point he was willing to commit suicide. Because I think the people coming to save him was that moment, that, that glass kind of epiphany before killing himself that made him turn around his way of thinking. Well, he pretty much told that to Carl was what he was, what he, he had that change of heart. He had that epiphany, like you said that he understood he thought that they that the people of alexandria couldn't be taught they they lived behind the walls had remained soft had never gotten hard and weren't able to do what needed to be done and he realized in that moment that they weren't that they were there they could do what needs to be done and that they could survive and they could he could be part of it he could be part of that and it wasn't us and them they were all one group now yeah okay i completely agree with that Good. Just a great episode. Awesome. This is up there. I think this, okay, the episode where they fought the White Walkers, got that big epic battle, got Game of Thrones, got the two best action-packed episodes of television that I've ever seen so far. Okay, the reason why I say so far, because there's still a lot of Walking Dead, because still a lot of Game of Thrones left. So they could still top themselves. Because, I, I mean, I don't see these shows going down for a while. I think Walking Dead gave itself a new oof after this. So can't wait to see where it goes. Can't wait to see the Sabres brought in. I think it's going to be great stuff. Yeah, I agree. I think this was one of the best episodes of this series. And I think it was definitely the best episode in a while. And it really got me back into Walking Dead. It was a great mid-season premiere. And I'm excited to see where the rest of the season goes. So it, was, it did its job. Okay, I agree. So with that, now that we finished talking about TV's biggest rising star, we're going to go into talking about... TV's biggest sinking ship with the cancel episode that at least thankfully got things back normal. But the was just okay. Get titled Toad Death. A body is found in the theater where Martha is working, so Castle and Beckett investigate and are surprised to learn how cutthroat acapella singers can be. I felt this week's Castle was really nothing to write home about. It was better than the crap we got during the first half of the season, with Beckett feeling like she needed to have gay separation away from Castle to protect him. Got a really happy all that stuff is gone, but even though Castle and Beckett guiding their sneaking around with an affair this week was funny, it's gonna get old real quick. Can Ryan and Esposito are on the verge of looking like idiots if they don't realize something is up as soon as next week? Dico, were you really glad to see Beckett and Castle back together? again, but concerned at the same time that their sneaking around could get silly, get out unnecessary complications to the show that may paint Grind and Esposito as idiots? You know, Dan, I agree that this week was better than the whole lock set stuff from the first half of the season, but I actually enjoyed it more than just being better because I love the acapella stuff and especially Espo joining in and rocking it out. But I, th- I think we'll talk more about that in a second, so I won't dive into it too deep. As to your other point about Ryan and Espo looking stupid if they don't catch on, I totally agree. But for this one episode, it was fun to see Castle and Beckett sneaking around and having fun to sort of make up for the stupidity of the first half of the season. This needs to be a one and done idea and the boys need to catch on and actually they need to be brought into the Locksat investigation ASAP because like you said it's going to get old and it's going to make them look stupid. Yeah beyond these antics the episode felt I mean kind of boring for me to me except for that one scene you mentioned with Esposito. Yep. That was kind of fun but that was just one scene. Um, I think it was interesting to explore the world of acapellas. Singers made popular through movie Pitch Perfect. Um, it was a place that the police procedure shows I've watched 
should have never gone before. So I thought that was a good decision. But I felt the writers could have done more with it than what we got by making Martha more of a major character. Because her mentoring of the group of singers that had one of their members murdered was interesting. But I think there could have been more of it. Or maybe they could have thrown Castle into one of those underground acapella competitions as well. Or maybe joked about Gusposito and Castle having a sing-off. Because as we all know, Nathan Philly could sing. But I see where that runs the risk of becoming cutesy. Diego, do you think exploring the world of acapella singers was an original idea for a police procedure that the writer of this episode could have utilized better? Could they have given Martha a bigger part? Yeah, Dan, I agree. The writers and producers of this series really missed a huge opportunity to have Martha be a much bigger part of this episode than merely mentoring the group at the very end. I agree that having Nathan be the one to sing in this episode could have come off as almost too cutesy like you mentioned, but by having Espo have the acapella battle with the guy who was going to bribe the judge, I thought that was an awesome surprise. We knew that Espo and Ryan could dance. Now apparently Espo could sing as well. I love it. The only thing that I can say that helped this episode from being disappointing because they missed such an obvious opportunity to bring Martha into the investigation was the fact that Alexis was much more of a part of Castle's half of the investigation. She of course figured out the emoji message and helped him find the underground singing competition and I've thought they have been doing a very good job of realistically adding her to the PI firm's work and making it much better than in the previous two seasons when they sort of just forgot about her it seemed. Yeah, I, I thought she was great in the episode. Yeah. But she's been great all season. Right, and that's one of the better parts of the missteps they've made in the first half was that it allowed for more Alexis. And so I'm I'm happy in that regard, but I think they need to start cleaning some of that up. Yeah, Molly Quinn's been a rock star this season on the show. Yep. And if this gets canceled, I think they should look at her for her own show. I do. I think she'd be good as... Great supporting character. A lead in a, a ensemble cast. That works. I don't think she has enough experience to be the, the lead herself in a major show. But I I mean, I think she has the quality, but I don't think anyone's going to take that bet. It'd be almost, it'd be even a bigger leap than Joss taking Nathan as Captain Mao when he had just been a, you know, supporting character on a few shows before. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I think she's someone they can look at. So, interesting. I would like to see it. I would love to see her get her chance and be a star because I think she's got the quality for sure. Yeah. Well, we'll see where that goes. I mean, yeah. So they gave Haley Atwell another show, Cover of Agent Carter. So, maybe Molly Quinn could get in on something with that. Or another network sweeps her up. I don't know. I feel like she could be on a CW show. I hope she, if it's not one of the superhero shows, then I hope it's major network. Yes, yes, I agree. Now, as for the mystery this week, it was pretty generic. Guys, in the classic case of a person being murdered over someone trying to to protect their significant other's career. Some would think the move this episode pulled of making us believe the lawyer who's behind the car accident of the murder victim was in to kill her and then making it be her husband because it's a pretty good twist. But I can't count how many times I've seen that before. In fact, and this may make you cringe, Nico, because you are not a Deborah Messing fan, but my parents thought the outcome of this mystery was so typical they said the most recent episode of Mysteries of Laura was better than this. And that along with the ratings, they're saying to me, this show is out of gas to the point it needs to get you stand at the end of the season. Nico, if this show doesn't have something big happen with the Lockstead mystery during next week's two-night event, which I hope is this season's big two-part mystery. Do you think it's a dead man walking? Dan, I think regardless of even if it does have a huge episode or two next week, this series is on its last legs and needs to end regardless at the end of the season with a good, satisfying ending that is a no-holds-barred series finale, written to be a series finale, with no hope or desire to be anything but a series finale. That will be the only thing that saves this season and makes it worthwhile in true fans of the series eyes. I don't want this series to limp to the finish and go out with a thud, so I hope they have some interesting stuff planned and shot for us for the second half of the season. But at the same time, I'm ready for this series to end and these stars to create new things and inhabit new great characters. So I hope it is not dead on its feet in that sense, but I do hope it is ready to retire at the end of the season. I don't want
want it to die. I want it to retire and them to go on to the next thing in their careers. Great, again, I think it should end the last season because I think that finale was a perfect way to end the show. I thought so too. But but if we're going to go out this way, we can go out this way. Just please give us a decent ending and just resolve the locks that thing. Yep. I think that's your best bet of what you could do and just move on. You know, Marvel's got a new show coming out at ABC. They got a new show with Haley Admiral coming out. You know, if you want to keep some of these actors around, move them to those shows. You know, there's a number of things you can do. So I think that's the best bet for that and just, just grab it up. And again, I'm still going to say this, given with the ending we get this season, that they should have ended it with last season for that. Yep. So that's how I'm feeling and uh, that's how it's going to go. And again, this was the first episode back. So I'll give it a break being weaker because sometimes episodes of the winter are weak. But if they don't have to amp it up with a two-night event, then they're in trouble. Good. With that, we're going to get into a show that I think's wrapping itself up nicely. Again, there's some questions about some of the wrap-up decisions they made in this episode, but I think it'll make much more sense once we get to see all six episodes of X-Files Season 10 together. So let's talk now about the fourth episode of the X-Files reboot season, Get Titled Home Again. Mulder and Scully investigate the murder of a city official, a crime that doesn't appear to have been committed by human hands. Meanwhile, Scully faces deeply emotional feelings about the child she gave up for adoption. Every episode of this reboot season for the X-Files has been a tribute to a certain type of episode this show invented. The first two episodes were mythology stories, the third was a tribute to the Monster of the Week stories, but I'm really not sure what this episode was paid tribute to. Maybe a mixed bag? Maybe the Scully family, perhaps? Because that being said, I was very glad Scully's told of her brother, Bill, who I don't like for Katie Mulder, was only on the phone of this episode, revolving around Scully's mother passing away. Since Mulder needed to be with Scully, get her mother's bedside, go Mrs. Scully's final message about Scully and Mulder forgiving themselves, go for giving up their son to work. Because did you think this story, showing Scully's mom passing away, was absolutely necessary? Or do you think it will make more sense if it becomes a catalyst for Scully and Mulder to actually go out and find their son? So this episode for me was sort of a Monster of the Week mixed with mythology, like many of the classic Monster of the Week episodes that also let us in on a little tidbits of mythology throughout the series. There are, were plenty of these episodes where it appeared that they were merely getting a Monster of the Week episode, and at some point the Cancer Man showed up, or Deep Throat, or the Lone Gunman showed up out of nowhere, and it also became a mythology episode. That is what I think this episode turned out to be, because it dealt with the Trashman Tulpa, but also introduced the idea that Mulder and Scully need to start the search for their son. So, yeah, I, I kind of feel like th that's where this story is going. I think that's what this story set up, but it did it in the process of a Monster of the Week episode. So was this the penultimate episode that didn't really have to do with anything? Could it set off a catalyst for what's next at the end? Yes, yeah, sort of, because next week's going to be the start of, like, a two-part finale. finale, I think. Okay, yeah, I think that's where it's going to... Do you remember that episode where, because of an ultimate episode, where Mulder was trying to restore his dreams? Vaguely, vaguely. And, then, and then his investigation sparked what happened in the next episode. Okay. So I think that's kind of what they were doing here. Because I do think Gilles needed the whole episode to get them to the point where they explained why they would actually go out to start seeking him out again. Right, right. So I think that makes sense. And could maybe the search begins with the return of three certain characters that I keep hoping will return every week. If they don't come, Nico. Yeah, I know. I, I I've been expecting them to be in one of these sort of Monster of the Week episodes or Alien of the Week. Yeah. 
Well, speaking of this week's monster of the week, Guy found the trash man perfectly fits. What we expect from the X Files. Creepingly out to the point where I could never listen to the song downtown. The same again. Again, garbage trucks are now just as scary to me as porta potties. However, the explanation beyond the trash man being a tulpa, I think was taken right out of Supernatural, instead of it being one of the original ideas we are accustomed to expecting from the X Files. Like the lizard man turning into a human form from last week. It's entirely possible the idea of a tulpa was an idea that Supernatural's writers borrowed from the X-Files, and then Chris Carter used it again on this episode, but I don't remember a past episode dealing with this type of entity. Also, I know the X-Files is a show where things are left unexplained, but every episode, at least in my opinion, has a sense of finality to it, where Scully and Mulder might not be able to explain what happened with the threat of the week, but there's always this sense that they've stopped it from killing, or it's going to return again. And I thought both of those concepts were left kind of vaguer than normal for the X-Files at the end of this episode, with the artist just changing the Tulpa's head into a smiley face. Because doesn't that just mean there's going to be a killer going around who looks like a mascot for Walmart? Nico, do you think the trash man succeeded at being scary, but the explanation behind the monster because the week falls short, with the unexplained ending for the character, not packing the traditional goof we've come to expect from an X-Files mystery? So Dan, the Tulpa is a Tibetan Buddhism concept that the guys over at the Mysterious Universe podcast talk about Tulpas all the time. So Supernatural by no means created the idea, or even was the first to use it. Yeah, I know they borrowed it, but they were the first to use it on TV, at least I know of. Actually, a tupa is essentially created by sheer force of will and concentration and a single idea, concept, and thought. They talked about that in the episode. It's essentially a thought creature, a physical materialization of thought resulting in the creation or being of an object. Supernatural used that, like you mentioned, three times in season eight episode, but the X-Files actually used it first in the sixth season episode, Arcadia, where Mulder and Scully go undercover as a married couple. And then they, through their investigation, they learn that the leader of a community- Oh, yeah, I remember He's using a tulpa to enforce the homeowner's rules. So Dan, I didn't feel that this case was a retread or revisit of things we've seen before, even if it was using a concept that has been used or is talked about in other series. I thought it was an interesting take on the tulpa, the idea that it transformed into all kinds of different or all different kinds of art and was still able to come out and manifest the desires of the artist at the time or at the uh, time of his creation. I thought that was actually pretty cool. And the way he used the trash truck as his hiding and transportation, that was interesting as well. Sure, the ending could have used some extra oomph, but overall, I was happy with this episode. I thought it was an interesting take on the Tulpa. Yeah, I just feel like Tulpa's been used a lot, so I was kind of like, come on, give me something more original. But hey, you know, wherever the story was fine. It didn't fall apart. There wasn't anything shaky or complicated or questionable in it. So now for how it ended, my idea is by the artist changing the face to a smiley face, he has broken that concentration that ultimately created the Tulpa. So it will no longer be able to kill or fight or act in the way that it originally was because all of that energy and all of that thought that went into creating the original monster has now dissipated and has been changed. So that's my idea of how they ended the story because the artist decided to change the, the art. You know, usually when an artist puts everything into the art and, and creates something, they're, they put it away. They're done with it. They move on to something else. He went back and changed it and thus changed the energy that went into it. And it's no longer a vigilante or a uh, a terror on uh, people, right. you know. Okay, yeah, then I think they did that on one of the Supernatural episodes, and I think they used the Tulpa as early as season one. I think the episode where the first appearance of the Ghost Facers took place was a Tulpa, I think. It was actually the Slender Man episode that was the Tulpa with the Ghost Facers. Okay, 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 that's right. Can I get actually the X-Files episode? I got it confused with an episode of Warehouse 13. Okay. Because there's an episode of Warehouse 13 where the, the guy that's in charge 
in the neighborhood, the, the homeowner leader, he basically uses an artifact to enforce his rules. Yep. So I got that confused with that again. I didn't watch the next time so I'm coming rewatch. I had a feeling they had used a thumper before, so thanks for fact checking and verifying on that, Nico. Well, the interesting thing is, I think that that warehouse episode you just referenced was actually a callback to X Files, was an homage to the X Files episode. It probably was. Because that was a final season episode. Yep. Because they played homage to a lot of stuff in that film. Yep. Yeah, finally, I think it's an episode that I will accept a lot better looking back on it. If the X-Files does come through, kind of inspiring Scully and Mulder to find out what happened to their son, or actually let them reunite with William again. Because that way, the death of Scully's mother, I think, won't be left in vain from a story standpoint. Do so you, you think Chris Carter is actually going to come through and explaining what happened to William and wrapping up the storyline? Because this is one of those X-Files mysteries that can't be left unexplained because the fans will be extremely disappointed. I think from the very beginning of the revival, the question of what happened to William has permeated the entirety of the episode so far, as well as, well, you know, at least from Scully's perspective, that has been a major focus of these revival episodes. And this episode seemed to continue and really ramp up that theory or that idea even more. And with the fantasies we saw Mulder and Scully have about what their lives would have been like with William a few weeks ago, I think we'll probably get to see them actually see how his life has turned out. It seems like too much of, I don't see how... With so much focus they've put on it so far, they could ever leave it unexplained. That just doesn't make sense to me. Fans would lose their minds if they did that. But with only two episodes left, it does beg the question, where's this overall story going? And what can we expect from the series' second finale in two episodes? I hope they can wrap it all up in the next two episodes and we are happy with the finale as we were before the premiere. You know, if we can reach that same level of excitement after it's over and think, oh my god, that was so great. I'm so glad that they did that. Yeah. It's going to make this a huge success if at the end we're like well now i feel even more empty or i wanting more and i'm not gonna ever get it and you're like uh that's gonna be frustrating I, I i think chris carter's got a plan i think he knows what he's doing and we're gonna get something great in these next two episodes but i am a little hesitant because there are only two episodes left and i feel like they've opened a big wide door and now they gotta start narrowing it down because they only have good hour for both episodes right yeah jakes that's kind of crunch time in my opinion yeah yeah, yeah. You gotta work a little fast. Because he's got a really well-thought-out idea. I'm kind of figuring, like, maybe... Because there was rumors about a third movie. I'm wondering if that script was narrowed down to the final two episodes. That seems a likely possibility. Chris Carter thought, okay, we need to have one fun little Monster of the Week tribute episode. Because then the rest was seeds that maybe he didn't know how to fit into the story. But he got to do it flesh out because he had, you know, three TV show episodes to work with. Right. What if all of these six episodes was just a trailer for a third movie? <laughs> they better... They better show that trailer at the end of the episode. What if it was like, now in two years, we're going to have an X-Files movie? I would lose my mind. <laughs> Everybody would. There would literally have to be a trailer for that movie get the end of the final episode. Right, right. For people to accept it. But again, the movie, people lost their minds over the movie. The second movie. Yeah, well, I mean, rightfully so. Everyone's <laughs> like, oh, we're getting more time. Because that's what scares me. I'm scared Chris Carter. This is the only idea that he has. Get the tank. That's work. Because he didn't have others. He tried that alone on the show. Can he try? What was it, Millennium? Well, Millennium lasted a few years, so I mean, it, it was semi-successful. Okay, it's okay to last longer than I thought. I need to go back and watch that. But I feel like this is his, his baby. Mm -hmm. Getting greedy with that baby. He's just going to keep it going for as long as he can. Well, I think he had put the X-Files to bed and was happy with, to the most, most extent, happy with what he was able to accomplish. But when the opportunity came to finish telling some stories and wrap up some loose threads that he really thought could have been done in another film or a continuation of the series, 
series, he jumped at the opportunity, and that's what we're getting. I do hope that he's able to whittle it all down into the next two episodes and really tell a story that, you know, just absolutely makes us happy. Well, that second movie was a very, very crappy loose end. Yeah. Yeah, like, why the way? Of all the loose ends you could wrap up, why the heck would you pick that story? Yeah. So I don't get it, but that's just going to be something that's going to, that's going to be a question that's going to last through all my, like, how many links it takes to get to this number 55. You know, the world will never know why Chris Carter made the second next film movie about that. So with that, we're going to move on to another franchise that we love that we can't get enough of. Because that's Star Wars with our discussion. Got a Star Wars Rebels episode that made me want to yell, save the whales, called the call. Low on fuel and power in deep space, the ghost crew encounters massive, mysterious creatures whose lives are threatened by a mining operation. This week's episode of Rebels seemed to be inspired by a combination of Star Trek IV and the movie Whale Rider. Because Ezra made a force connection with a group of space whales known as Purgles, who assisted the ghost crew on this mission. It was a great reminder that the force binds and connects all creatures, including animals. Guess I know this episode screamed, save the whales, but I thought the animation behind these creatures was beautiful, especially after they were able to dip into the gas on the planet. That they fed upon to become quite colorful. Get the fact and the effect that they used to show the Purgles jumping at the light speed was pretty cool, especially since they gave us a good explanation to the origin of light speed travel within the Star Wars universe. Diego, did you like the inclusion of the Purgles in this episode? Or did you think this was more of the outrageous mystical stuff that bothered you with last week's episode? Dan, this episode did almost scream save the whales, but that's alright because it was a great mythology story about the discovery of light speed in the Star Wars universe. I like the idea that pilots thought the idea that Purgles first inspired the galaxy's light speed routes and travel between the stars but that all knowledge of those events had fallen from written history and had rather become folklore urban legends and mythological stories in their own right this episode also showed what a natural force connection ezra has to animals and how he is always the one that seems to sense the right thing to do when other animals and species are involved i, I like that he was able to sense that the purgles and the crew of the ghost had essentially the same mission and were not enemies like hera thought and that was rewarded and ultimately his trusting in the force saved his and his crew's lives once again. That's a good thing for these stories to be showing is when Ezra is able to trust in the force, things work out. Well, it kind of reminds me of the idea of what Yoda said in episode 2, where he talks about how you know, a child's mind is more open to things. Because mm-hmm. I Ezra's a little older, he's a teenager, but still I think his mind is not closed off as the other uh, characters, because he may not been through as much, or is not as old. Because I think Hayden picked up on that right away. I think he remembered that lesson from Yoda. Give you to share that with him or go be one or someone to share that with him and i think he saw that with Ezra and said you know let him write it out let's do it yeah for sure but at the same time i think at the beginning i thought hera wanted to use violence and dealing with the burgles was kind of out of character for her because she normally tries to take the pacifist route especially from what we saw from two weeks ago the protector of concord dawn episode but then when she explained that the creatures were responsible for the death of a lot of her friends i understood where she was coming from nika did this explanation resolve this problem for you or do you think it was still out of character for her i understood the conflict for Hera in this episode. She did not understand the Purgles, did not know their motives, thought they were mindless animals that just caused problems for hyperspace travelers, and had killed some of her friends. You could understand her anger and fear, and it was nice to see Ezra teach Harris something since we are used to her being the mother hen teaching him. So I had no problem with it, and it makes her more of a three-dimensional character, one that is not completely good or completely right all the time. It gives her some needed humanity, even though she's not technically a human. Quali was the mother in her. She was concerned about her crew and the people she cared about getting hurt by these burgles because she had lost other people she cared about more. Yep, exactly. So 
was a motherly instinct. It wasn't good thinking, oh, will or anger or anything like that. It was just genuine concern for the people she cares about. Yeah, that's a good point. Now, finally, there were a lot of online reviews for this episode that felt there was an average episode. Because really nothing special to add to the grand scheme of things. Can I think the writers could have resolved this issue maybe by going the way I originally thought the story was going to go, with the rebels freezing on the ship due to being low on fuel, becoming Star Wars' version of the famous Firefly episode, God of Gas, which tells the origin story of the space crew on that ship. I think the episode maybe should have gone that way, with the connection between Ezra and the whales being the miraculous way they got all of this situation. Nico, do you think this would have been a better way to do the episode than what we got? Could we ever see the origin story of the ghost crew, or is that just going to be left for the Rebel Dawn novel? Dan, while that is a really interesting and cool idea for the episode, wouldn't those same people criticizing this episode for being dull or nothing special be tearing it apart for being a ripoff or retread of one of my all-time favorite episodes of TV ever? I would guess that they would be even harder on it if it had just gone with that route. I would have enjoyed that episode with these characters, telling the origin stories we so want to see, but wouldn't snobbier critics have eaten that episode alive for being reductive or redundant? I think so. I thought this episode was fine. Nothing special for sure, but not bad. Better than last week for me for sure also for me the origin story or even the out of gas like episode probably most definitely would have been better but i'm not sure that would have been true for everyone i do think we deserve and and should see the origin stories of these characters in a tv episode as part of the rebels story but you might be right that it's only going to be part of that rebel dawn novel i hope not i hope we get both but i'm not sure yeah my big thing is i think after episode seven's come out people are being way too critical on the show now I think they expect episode seven every week. But you can't do that in a half an hour. Yeah. Good do. I, I, all of a sudden, it was like, everyone's like, oh yeah, I enjoy Reynolds. It's a good show. I can't wait to watch it every week. Because the critics just like turned on them. I felt like with the past two episodes. Well, I definitely was not a big fan of last week's, but I thought this right. one... Right, and that's warranted, but I thought this was better. Yeah, this was better. I think they need something that's maybe a little bit more action and going up against Vader again, or, right. you know, actually having a confrontation with Callus this week would have been maybe a, a better move. I think, I think it was just unfortunate fortunate that these were the two that were after Star Wars Episode 7 came out. I think right. maybe that's why the critics are being so harsh on it. I hope that's the reason. I hope that they haven't soured on this show because the movie was so good. Well, I think Yoda's still coming. Isn't he still coming on the show? I, I don't remember if... There's there's footage of Ezra talking to Yoda. Okay, then then yes. That that, that, that probably is still coming this season. I know we got... That was, that was in the clip with the news article you posted last week with the Grand Admiral thought it in a throne announcement. Right, I, I remember that there was something with Yoda, but I didn't know if that was this season or next season, because I think Thrawn is coming next season. Yeah, that's going to give a shot the arm, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. So there's good things coming that makes me feel like this show is not a draw at all. Yeah. Well, I'd like to see Ahsoka back soon, because yes, it's, been, it's been too long since we've last seen her, so that would yeah, well, be... Well, we need more on the mystery of her finding out that Vader is Anakin. Right. Yeah. I'm going to say next week. I feel like this is the winter season kind of filler episodes, these two, because then it'll pick up. Okay. Because Clone Wars are notorious for being like that. Yeah, yeah. I think Dave Filoni's done a pretty good job of not having those in the first season anyway, so I'm, I'm hoping it's it's just a, a run of episodes we're not thrilled about, and not that right. they have a bunch of filler. I well, this season's longer than last season, too. That's true as well. So you've got that problem. But we haven't got any droids episodes, so I'm happy. Yeah, exactly. So that's good. And with that, we're going to bring Michael back into the party to talk about, yeah, what I found is a pretty solid episode of Supernatural that just keeps that show moving forward. And then he's going to follow that up with a review on Sleepy Hollow.
Hey guys, Michael J. Petty here to talk with you about this week's episode of Supernatural, Season 11, Episode 13, entitled Love Hurts. This week's Supernatural was a good old-fashioned monster hunt with a twist or two to keep us interested. After finding a case in which victims' hearts were ripped out on Valentine's Day, the brothers assume werewolf with irony. After seeing the monster's eyes glow on a videotape, however, they then assume shapeshifter. But eventually, they come to the realization that it's actually a witch with a love curse passed on through kissing, which would result in death of the death of whomever's lips touched the lips of the cursed, or those who pass the curse on through kissing, naturally. To be honest, this episode was slow at times, and like a season 10 episode, dragged on a little too long, but I think that overall it did its job as we eventually go on to see Dean's darkest desire come to life through Amara, or at least a version of her. What I liked about this wasn't Dean's battle or even his internal struggle against this enemy, but instead that he actually decided to tell Sam instead of keeping it secret. Last week we saw him confess this, uh, this lust, this love for Amara to Castiel, who is actually Lucifer at this point time. So it's not as if Sam isn't the only one to hear this, but it's good that he actually confessed it to Sam as opposed to keeping it secret, which which again is really a nice change of pace because for the past 11 secrets, the brothers have been hiding one thing for or another from one another and has only caused more unnecessary drama over the past however many years. Here we see Sam empathize with his brother though, as he also makes the comment that he, and in turn us as the audience, wasn't surprised that Amara is who Dean saw at all. We've all seen this since the moment they were shown together in the premiere episode of this season. I'm not entirely sure sure where this plot line with Amara is really headed. We haven't really seen her since the mid-season opener, and it's almost as if she seems to be hiding. To be completely honest, this is the first season of Supernatural I've watched where I did not really have a theory on what is going to be happening next, story-wise. I'm sure Lucifer will come into play somehow, and maybe God would come back, hopefully portraying him correctly, but probably not as per usual. And ultimately, Sam and Dean will be the ones to stop her. Hopefully Sam this time, though, because Dean has beaten the last few big bads. But I guess time will tell. Also, Dean finally won Rock, Paper, Scissors. Good for him. Till next time, guys. Hey guys, Michael back to talk about this week's episode of Sleepy Hollow, Season 3, Episode 10, entitled The Incident at Stone Manor. This week's Sleepy Hollow follows closely after last week's mid-season premiere and did, a heck, and did a heck of a job getting us back into the game. Between Ichabod finding Abby, Pandora giving up her power, and the Gargoyle, there was a lot that went into this episode that I loved, and quite frankly, I love the direction this season is going. I'm still waiting to get back to the biblical apocalypse, however. On another note, there was really a lot I enjoyed about this episode. I really like seeing Abby go kind of crazy when she was in this interdimensional prison that kind of looked like it was out of Stargate or the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie. It was cool to see that map that she drew, as well as the makeshift chess set she created, because what else are you going to do for 10 months when no one else is around? I mean, I have enough trouble being alone by myself on the weekends as it is. The idea that she talked to Ichabod the entire time, though, just to keep her sanity, was both heartwarming and kind of scary, as we almost got to see what would throw Abby over the edge, what would break her into giving into Pandora's offer to show her the way out of the prison in order for the exchange of the eye, which, thankfully, she does destroy, which means we don't have to worry about that power ever being unleashed again. To be honest, when it was revealed that Betsy Ross's cutlass was found in the prison, I half expected her to be there as well and break out with Abby, much like Katrina and Ichabod did in season one when escaping purgatory in the finale. However, I was glad that I was wrong as Betsy Ross, though she may be an interesting character for the flashbacks, would really just be a rehash of Katrina, and although I was one of the few that was glad Katrina escaped purgatory to be on Team Witness, her arc last season really could have only ended the way with the way it did, with her going Dark Willow on everybody, and then getting killed. Still, I think that's kind of a disservice to the character with how good she was in season 
one. But again, that was really the only way they could go. And again, that would really be the only way you could go with Betsy Ross as well, unless you were to play her up like Jenny or someone like that. But at this point, we don't need any more people on the team. So I don't think we need to see that again with Miss Ross. The other part of this episode that I loved was the gargoyle. And I wanted to see them fight another one, or I want to see them fight another one eventually because that thing was super creepy. And it was it would be really neat to see the witnesses themselves go up against the stone baddie. However, the way that Joe, Jenny, and Sophie worked together as a team to defeat the creature was still worth the watch for sure. I only wish that they had maybe given Jenny the benefit of the doubt with the holy water because I still think that would have worked, but the concrete was definitely a nice touch and something that Ichabod and Abby may not have come up with at all. One final note before I sign off though, I'm glad that the Hidden One's power was finally returned, although at the expense of Pandora's, because this means that, like when facing Moloch last season, the Witnesses will have a really powerful big bad to face off again that will hopefully live, live up to the previous tribulation that they faced last. Moloch was, to, at least to me, kind of like the end-all be-all bad guy for Sleep Hollow, with maybe the exception of the Headless Horseman, of course, who better be coming back soon, by the way. So I think the Hidden One, if he reaches that level of power and the Witnesses really have to go all out and defeating him, kind of like they had to do with Moloch last season, although they didn't end up defeating Moloch last season, Jeremy did, I think it would be a really good show and it would be a great way to end this season of the show and maybe the entire series if it doesn't get renewed, which again, hopefully it will. Anyway, can't wait, wait for next week's when the Kindred from last season returns. See you guys. All right, and so we're back now. Okay, we're going to do a different section today, talking about our favorite Super Bowl commercials and all the funny and quite disturbing things that came with that. First off, I have to say the Super Bowl commercials were a lot better than last year because more of them made me laugh because they stayed away from the political agendas. But as for my favorite commercials, could have to go with the one featuring Kevin Hart, the Heights commercials with leader dogs dressed as hot dogs, get the Coca-Cola versus Ant-Man commercial. Because as you all know, I love superheroes. But with all that being said, what was up with the puppy baby monkey? That was a little odd and weird. Love to do must have been on crack when they made that commercial. But anyhow, for my favorite movie trailer, I would have to go with the one for Jason Bourne. Because a Bourne movie where Matt Damon returns to the franchise, so we could go head to head with Tommy Lee Jones, the ultimate movie character who chases down a man on the run. It's gonna be awesome. Cause I just can't wait to see that movie. It's gonna be good stuff and a great movie. I've enjoyed all those films and I'm glad we're getting more. So Nico, what were your favorite Super Bowl commercials? And did you have a favorite movie trailer as well? Dan, I have to agree. The Bourne trailer was amazing and probably the best of the entire night. I was not a fan of your favorites, however, but mainly because I'm not a Kevin Hart fan at all. I find him annoying and thus his crazy father idea. It, it just didn't work for me. I actually really enjoyed the Commander one from Audi that had a retired astronaut who was reinvigorated once he gets behind the wheel of an Audi R8. And yeah, I get credit for that. It, it paid tribute to David Bowie also with Starman playing in the background, so that was a nice touch as well. I also enjoyed the Longest Chase one where the bank robbers come out and find their getaway car being towed and end up taking a Prius on a slow-speed police chase. And if you watch the version online, it's even longer. So oh, The Jeep Portraits one was pretty cool as well. It wasn't anything special other than showing images of Jeeps throughout the 75 years of the Jeep being um, you know, in production, so that was kind of cool, just seeing those old photos. I didn't really think any of the commercials this year were funny, but I did like the fact that there were not really any politically motivated ones this year, and it seemed to be mostly just advertisements rather than any political message. Although, you made fun of the puppy baby monkey, but I actually thought that one was funny. <laughs> so, I guess it, it was just odd enough to, to make me laugh. The one I thought they completely missed the boat was the Bud Light commercial with Amy Schumer and Seth Rogen. Yeah, yeah. The only... They hyped the crap out of that. It wasn't that great. The, the only part that I thought was really funny was when he started quoting Independence Day and she turned to him and said, are you quoting Independence Day? He's like, you know it. <laughs> yeah. So, I did laugh at that line. I did laugh at that line. That was, yeah. that was pretty good. That was fitting because they did show a trailer to the sequel. Yep. So that worked. Uh, but and then they, they, the commander one was also very good. 
trivia or like that yep. for that regard. Uh, but because the Prius, like, the reason why it didn't work for me is my family they just didn't get the joke about it being a Prius. Oh, okay. So I'm the only one laughing, so I felt like kind of out of place. So that kind of killed me for that one. But anyhow, I felt better than last year. Maybe not great. And um, the Super Bowl people work better on your audio for your halftime performance next year. That's just my suggestion. Fair enough. Okay, so with that, we're going to bring Nikki in to discuss a very fun episode of The Muppets that kind of made you want to scream. I love rock and roll. This week's episode of The Muppets, which had a tall tale to tell. Good title. A Tale of Two Piggies. T-A-I-L. <laughs> the network is outraged in the Piggy experience a scandalous wardrobe malfunction. Pepe and Rizzo throw a house party to cheer up Gonzo, who is missing his ex-girlfriend. <laughs> just kept walking just kept crossing the road <laughs> yes that was a great line the other one was she walked out on the relationship because she was a chicken <laughs> Pepe and Rizzo were totally nailing it in this episode got the carpet joke <laughs> I was like, oh, Pepe on a rug. <laughs> nice for carpet. There was a lot There was a lot of naked Pepe in this one. Yes, there was. That was entertaining. Yeah. And the, the episode also showed a lot of tail. Oh, yeah. There, there was a lot of TNA. Gunkle by Deadly. <laughs> Over the shoulder and then give it a pop. I was going to say, I think this is one of Gunkle Deadly's favorite moments for me on the show. <laughs> With him saying he wanted credit for the dress. Because then the tail popped out and then he's like. It, it's a Vera Wang. <laughs> throw somebody else on the bus. <laughs> Piggy is wearing Vera Wang. <laughs> The tail is out. Up a news flash. <laughs> I love that our little reporter was there. A nice little plug for Disney with everybody being at the Zootopia premiere. Yes, that was fun. Quite fun. It's kind of Muppet like, you know? Yeah. That, yeah. that was kind of fun. This is a really great episode about the media and teaching a good lesson about it. Yeah. I really think they've hit their stride with this show on what they want to do with it. Because you had this whole incident, which is a great commentary on media. It was very funny. Fit a lot of Muppet jokes because they're sense of humor. And then it came with that great moment of Kermit, classic Kermit, teaching us that lesson at the end. Of course. Yeah, that was Muppets. That was perfect. And those parents that were complaining, which I think they made fun of in this episode. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, the pizza man was just, I think they're wrong now. I think the show has figured out how to get Muppets right, could do Muppets right, and maybe the showrunner change is what brought this on. But um, I think it was good. I think we had the adult humor with the wholesome Muppets we love at the same time. Plus those classic Muppet show sketches with what they're doing with things like Kardashian or Piggy. <laughs> Gonzo, not Gonzo. Animal really sucks at that game. Pretty likes good funny. <laughs> it's yummy, yummy, yummy. I, I love the, the commentary on like the million moms like that get so pissed about anything that's perceived as pro-gay. You know, when Ellen DeGeneres was uh, a spokesperson for JCPenney, the million moms, which is about, you know, 10,000 moms at the most. It's only three, actually. It's only three. I love the commentary. Like, the million parents, like, that's well, well they rounded up. <laughs> Like, yes, nailed it. Now they have a fourth parent. No, I think he's still delivering pizza. You know, and that's, you know, how the networks react. It's like, yeah, people, networks will, you know, say, you know, we got, you got to change it. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is great. We love it. But no, it's not going to happen. Great idea. We're totally supportive, but you can't do it. Well, I love that line where Sam the Eagle has steam coming out of his ears. And then the, the evaporator or whatever it was, Kikurit's office made the steam come out of his ears. <laughs> that was good timing. And I love how on Late Night with Piggy that their, their way of silencing their crew about controversy because having Carl eat them. <laughs> Poor Scooter. I'm glad he survived that, though. Well, the whole thing with pigs in a blanket. Yes. It's like, I'll have the uh, sauce uh, <laughs> wrapped in a comforter. Just saying, it's called pigs in a blanket. And the way Piggy handled the fan girl was hilarious. Oh, 
little Melinda. It was it was such a like nice heartwarming moment that she's like, "Can I get a tour?" Because like tours are on Wednesday. <laughs> so then one day walked away. You've inspired me as much as I've inspired you. Can I have a tour of the set? Tours are on Wednesday. Good. I love how they're making her vanity a character conflict. Yeah. That's really interesting. Because you know, Piggy. First, you think she's just doing it to get back in the good graces of the media, but then you think, well, maybe you know she actually does believe in this, and she really did. She really believed it. There's nothing wrong with the tail, except for the one around Chip's neck. That one's wrong. Yeah, uh, Chip having a tail was kind of disturbing. Yeah. Well, it goes along with everything else disturbing about Chip. The resident creeper. Yeah, it was, you know, we've always we said, you know, where's Camilla? Where's where's the chickens? And now we know why Camilla has not been on. Good. I was so satisfied they brought her in at the end, and I hope they continue, guys. We kind of fantasized about that at the beginning of the season, so I'm glad we got it finally. We finally understand why they, they broke up. Oh, it's so sad. But Pepe and Rizzo were so sweet just to try to distract him. Can I just hope they have a chicken performance at some point on the show? Yeah, that, but that cracks my sister up. We <laughs> see the Muppet movie. She clearly fell out of her chair at the chicken's rendition of Forget You. <laughs> God, the Penguins are pretty good at Muppets Most Wanted. Yeah, I was kind of hoping we'd see, you know, uh, Gloria Stefan again. Yeah, me too. Okay. I was bummed about that. Is he, is he living full-time with Uncle Deadly now? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he's gone back to Antarctica. But we got to see Joe Judd, which was kind of cool. Oh, my God. You have no idea how excited I was to see her. I am such a fan. Way back when I was little, when I first heard Dump another dime in the jukebox, and then I hate myself for like, yeah, and then occasion. It was a great song choice for the episode. Yeah. I thought that was brilliant to bring her in and have Piggy like rock out to the song. Yeah. It was nice. It was so cool that everybody came out and everybody wore their tail. Were you, were you dying at that point, Nikki? What, with the tail? No, at that, that scene when she came out and stuff. Oh, God, I was so excited. I was going to pick up the tail on my dad. Okay, so so you were the one that was dying, not Stella or Waldorf. No, I was I was totally dead. <laughs> and that teenage, and that little fan girl. Yes, exactly. Linda, yeah. So I was, I was so excited. And then Nice little cameo for Brian's earring since the guys did buy his house. Do, do your, does your mother know you're here? <laughs> I'm 51. Carl's a realtor. <laughs> How does that work? They, they go from Phil Dunphy to Carl now on ABC. Yeah. As a realtor. That's funny. Well, this is the way, you know, you're definitely going to close your deal because you're afraid that he's going to eat you or throw cookies at you. Yes. Which makes me think of another certain Muppet that's <laughs> blue and furry and a lot of fun. Cookie. Oh, my favorite Muppet. That's right. My favorite Sesame Street Muppet is, is uh, Cookie and Cookie and Grover. Cookie could get Sesame Street character cameos. Got a show, but that doesn't work. No, it's too adult. Well, it belongs well to Elmo goes family. a little blue sometimes when he's like on talk shows and stuff, though. Yeah, Elmo went very, very that way on uh, Hollywood Squares one time. <laughs> I think it was Gilbert Gottfried dropped an F-bomb. Gives a blooper they showed. Oh. He dropped an F-bomb. And then uh, Elmo goes, Elmo learned a new word. <laughs> Yeah, the puppet guys are so funny. The Sesame Street guys, like they were a bunch of them were on Top Chef, and they were just so hilarious. They have a really, really awesome sense of humor. Yeah. All those guys, and it's great. Especially when Elmo and Ricky Gervais get together, because they are so hilarious. Yes. Can I just gotta say, this show is kicking on all cylinders. It really is. I mean, since they've returned, they've been on fire. Very, very good episodes. Very enjoyable, and can't wait to see what stars come next. I know. I'm, I'm like, well, I got Joan Jett. I'm happy. I need some more. I need Clark Gregg. <laughs> I hope so. But Clark Gregg's already got. Uh, to be slated on lip sync battle with Haley Atwell. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait for that. I'm like counting down the episodes until that comes. I know. I'm like, when? What? What are you gonna do, Clark? What are you gonna do? Tell me. Yeah, that's gonna be fun, and I think we will see cameos from other beloved Shield uh, characters as well. I hope so. I hope everybody's there. Yes, it would be fun. All right. Well, I think we're digressing, so we're gonna wrap up for talking about the Muppets. But good, great show, and excited.
excited for the next episode, which I was afraid we weren't going to get because of got two hour Agent Carter, but I guess we're good on that part because Muppets is going to be at 730 and Agent Carter is going to follow it up. So yep. that'll be a good Tuesday night for us. Yes, absolutely. All right. See you guys later. Bye, guys. All right. So now that the tale is out of the Muppet, going to review for the week. We're going to dive right into talking about this week's New Girl episode with the dreaded first appearance of Megan Fox that I was fearing. So you're going to hear my thoughts on that in just a minute as we talk about the New Girl episode. Regan. Hey, girl. What you doing? While Jess is on jury duty, the gang sublets her room to a comely pharmaceutical rep who brings quite a charge to their lives. This is the episode that I have been dreading. Their first appearance of Megan Fox, because this series is Regan. Dun, dun, dun. Because at first I was opposed to the character, because I thought she was designed to be an evil Jess, who would just keep making things continuously worse, got the gang, until Jess returned to save the day. But surprisingly, Regan showed signs that she actually cared about the group. Because I think her knowing CC beforehand really helped with that. But I do think Regan is meant to be the girl that makes Jess realize she is still in love with Nick. Kevin will want to get it back. But I think Jess and the gang are going to be conflicted over this because they still will want to help Regan with her issues of connecting with people. The group is finally helping someone like Jess has wanted after all these years. But I don't think she's going to be happy if it comes with losing Nick. So it's going to be an interesting conflict for her when all that goes down if Megan Fox indeed stays on the show when Zoe Deschanel returns. Anyway, my favorite comedic moment from this week's episode was Schmidt's reaction to finding out that Cece and Reagan cooked up at a MTV Spring Break 2003, which featured him breaking out to an air version of Nick Cannon's drum solo from Drumline. Get his rant about Regan crossing way over the line. So to keep from crossing the line myself, I'm going to pass things over to you, Nico, with your thoughts on this week's episode. Dan, I had the same initial reaction to the Regan character as you, but where we differed was that I did not think it got better as the episode went along. This episode was just about as bad as I expected it would be, or rather, the Regan parts were as bad as I thought it, they were going to be. As for favorite comedic moments, the flashbacks to when Winston basically allowed Nick to drown in the shower and then called him a soggy little bitch. I want to help you, but I'm gonna get wet. It's too late for you, but there's still time for me. And then how he said he squirted him with shampoo. <laughs> That's yes. a, that, that was a classic new girl thing, of course. Also, Schmidt choosing the uterus-shaped stress toy and him squeezing it and making funny sounds eh, like a dog toy. That was pretty great. I also loved when Nick realized he had no chance with Reagan and said, she's hot, she's cool, and she's bisexual. That means she likes men and women. I can't compete with that. That's too many people, Winston. That's all the people. <laughs> I like that. That was a good quote. Again, this is what I'm going to say about the Regan thing. I don't think it's a show killer situation. Okay. Do you? I mean, I because everyone else is fine. They're spot on. Yeah, I, I, I really, it took away from my enjoyment of the episode, and it wasn't because, like, I thought, oh, Megan Fox is on this episode, it's going to suck. There were a lot of parts that I liked, but every time they brought Regan on, it wasn't funny for me. I, I, I really did not find anything funny about her or her character, so I'm hoping as time goes on, she mixes in with their kind of crazy off-the-cuff comedy and, and can be part of that, and it's not like they're just playing on her hotness. Because this is the thing, I think the three guys got the show, Winston, Nick, and Schmidt are comedic actors. They know how to do comedy. Yeah. Ken Zoe is, is a comedic actress as well. Yeah. I feel that way. Megan Fox is not. She's a pretty face. Yeah, I mean, she has some talent as an actress as well. I mean, you can't say that she doesn't have talent. She's been in quite a few projects, and it's not just because she's a pretty face, but she's not a comedic actress, and that takes a certain oh. skill set 
that I don't think she has. And I think they're going to try and make her the straight man so that all the comedy plays off of her. And but that's, that's what Cece's for. Yeah, that's not always that fun. Yeah, that's what Cece's for. And actually, it takes a lot of... Oftentimes, to be the straight man takes more comedic skill than being the zany or... I agree with that. You know? So the actual true skill in a lot of comedy duos is the straight man and his ability to play it straight when it's supposed to be just off the wall zany. So, yeah, I, I think that that's a, a folly in the, in the setup for the show by trying to make her the straight straight man. Well, a great guy, a great example of an actress who's very versatile and had a hard time. Thought it was a challenge to be the straight man, but did a good job of it was Sandra Bullock with the movie Heat that she was in with Melissa McCarthy. Yeah. Because she's used to kind of being comedic and playing some goofy characters or having some goofy lines in that movie. She was straight up the straight man because it just didn't work with them both being goofy. Because she said that was a real challenge for her. And I just don't think Megan Fox does that. She's somebody who goes by the script. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. There's a lot of good actors that do it and do it that way. But they know when they're they know what they can't do and they'll make those choices. Yeah. I I, I don't think it's a show killer, to get back to your point. I don't think no. it, but it is something that took some of the enjoyment of the episode away from me. So in that sense, it was an episode killer. Okay. I'll, I'll give it that. But again, under the circumstance, I'm not gonna fault them too much. Yeah. So with that we're gonna dive into a modern family episode that I thought was a good return for them. Contend on clean for a day. Claire wages war on Clutter when she decides to get her house in order before taking over Jay's closet business, but Phil and Luke are afraid to throw anything out, and Alex gets emotional after finding Sanjay's sweatshirt. Meanwhile, Jay embraces his retirement with a high-flying hobby, and Gloria convinces Mitchell to teach her how to play golf so she can spend more time with Jay. My favorite comedic moment from this week's Modern Family was a combination of a sequence of events that got snakes in a can on a plane, which caused Cameron and Jay to have a near-death experience. Can I also got a good laugh out of Gloria's attempt to learn how to swing a golf ball before the bald guy stepped in, Get Mitchell, who was dubbed as Red, was fired as her teacher. Jessica, what were your thoughts on this week's Modern Family? You know, my favorite comedic moments from this week's Modern Family were Claire saying she didn't want Luke's dirty sock anywhere near her mouth and Luke saying, it's seen worse. And then at the end, when Phil put Chicky out of his misery, was pretty great. Rocky, what is that for? You know what it's for. Not the best episode, but not bad either. Better Luke. Yes. He did have some good lines. Yep, exactly. Alright, so with that, we're going to dive into a good episode of the Big Bang Theory that was set to reveal the big secret. Now, the verdict's not on how big you thought this secret reveal was, but at least we got but that's a good thing. So we did we did fall victim to false advertising. So let's talk this week about this week's Big Bang Theory, the Valentino submergence. All started with a big bang. Sheldon and Amy celebrate Valentine's Day with an episode of Fun with Flags. Leonard and Penny feel the pangs of aging. Howard and Bernadette are surprised by what they find in their hot tub. And Raj can't decide between Emily and the comely woman he met at the comic book store. You know, with the constant promoting, got something big being revealed on this week's episode during the Super Bowl. I thought the writers weren't going to come through. It was just a false marketing scheme devised by CBS to get people to watch the show. But they came through really abruptly, with Bernadette revealing she was pregnant. And all I have to say is, an episode very similar to the one where Penny dislocated her shoulder with Sheldon being the only one who could take Bernadette to the hospital would be absolutely hilarious. Can make all of our dreams about mixing up the groups come true. Guys, for my favorite comedic moments from this episode, they would have to be Kripke and Raj's hijacking of Sheldon's Fun with Flags live show to get love advice. Get an annoyed Sheldon's futile attempt to segue the show back to the topic of flags until he finally decided to give up with where racing the title got most of his show off the whiteboard. But at least he got to bring the word fun back thanks to Penny and Leonard. 
Speaker, what were your thoughts on the Speak Up Sound? Go the Big Bang Theory. Well, my favorite part of the episode had nothing to do with comedy. Just getting rid of a character that we did not like when Raj dumped Emily. I'm just glad she didn't take him back when he asked the other girl out and she'd gotten back with her boyfriend, because that would have been even worse. But anyway, as for favorite comedic moments, this was not the funniest episode for me, but I did enjoy Sheldon answering some frequently asked questions for Fun with Flags show. Yes, I really am a doctor. Yes, she really is my girlfriend. And then Amy saying, no, I just blink a lot. It's not Morse code for rescue me. That, that was my favorite joke of the entire episode. It was pretty good. I thought so too. I thought that was outstanding. It was a lot of fun. All, that whole Fun with Flags idea. It's fun. It's never really gotten old to me just fun. But again, I'm reserving on celebrating Come On Emily because the fact that they made her a regular cast member, get put her in the credits makes me feel like, oh crap, she could still come back, there still could be something here. Yeah. And this is something to prolong the relationship. That move makes absolutely no sense with what they've done so far. I agree, but I think they're going to do it. Okay. I, I absolutely agree with you, but I don't think they're that smart. I mean, yeah, I know, I know what you're saying, but I think the episode where Bernadette goes into labor could be quite hilarious. Oh yeah, I agree. I wholeheartedly agree, and I think Sheldon should be the one, and because he can't drive, he has to order an Uber or something like that, yeah. and then they show up and he's like, huh? I'm not taking anyone Who's going into labor? Yeah. I got it. They have the baby the 200th episode. Get Adam West as the Uber driver. <laughs> that would be hilarious, but I think it's too soon. Get off. But could you see it be like, like him starting the Batmobile? <laughs> Shows up in the Batmobile as his Uber yeah. car. Yeah, that would be hilarious. That would be an outstanding episode. I don't think that would, that would be fun. That would be, that would make the Big Bang Theory an episode that we have to talk about on the DC Nation podcast. Good. Speaking of our other podcasts, like what we have going on with our show, we're going to dive into the closing where Nico is going to explain what we're doing next weekend. Guess we've got a jam-packed schedule once again. Yeah, on our next episode, Dan and I will continue our reviews with an episode of X-Files, Walking Dead, two episodes of Castle, Star Wars Rebels, Michael's review of Supernatural and Sleepy Hollow, in our sitcom section, including New Girl, Muppets, Modern Family, and The Big Bang Theory. Also, DC Nation will continue with the Flash, Arrow, and DC Legends episodes, but no Supergirl as it takes a week off. So make sure to rejoin us for that as well. Also, be sure to keep an eye out for Dan, Nikki, and Joshua doing the Marvelverse podcast and their coverage of Agent Carter all season long. But for now, we're going to roll our pre-recorded closing. Just let all of our fans and followers know we are going to be consolidating our resources and our news and all of our efforts in order to give you the best at the right time in the right place. So our Twitter and Facebook pages will be merging with Across the Airwaves parent company. Marvelverse podcast, DC Nation podcast, Thrones cast. All will be shutting down February 14th in order to merge all of our talents and resources into Across the Airwaves main account and page. This goes also for Facebook. All of these pages will be shutting down to merge with Across the Airwaves so that all you have to do is go and like or follow Across the Airwaves so that you can stay up to date on all the news of all the shows that you love. So give us a follow on uh, Across the Airwaves on Twitter and then head on over to Facebook to Across the Airwaves and give us a like so that you can follow along with us. This will happen February 14th, Valentine's Day, so you have a couple weeks to do this. Be sure to tell your friends, and we look forward to seeing you on our new site as we bring news to one area so that all you have to do is go there. Thank you. All right, so once again, for all the ATA podcast hosts, Vicky Amy, Wu Kim, Joshua Mercray, Steve Nostro, Ken Michael J. Petty, Ken Dan Schmidt, and I'm Nico Resnick. Can until our next episode, we'll catch you on the airwaves. Can just beware, strange things can happen when you go downtown. See you guys. Have a great week. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go. 
downtown when you've got worries all the noise and the hurry seems to help i know downtown just listen to the music of the traffic in the city linger on the sidewalk where the neon signs are pretty how can you lose the lights are much brighter there you can't forget all your troubles forget all your cares so go Lifts, man. We now return to our regularly scheduled program.